This is the Chickadee Prince Books Podcast, a weekly program featuring dramatizations and conversation. This week... My diary entry on July 17th, 1874, begins. I was lost in a hail of bullets, muttered to myself. Oh no, not again. I have my ghosts. In a way, I am a ghost myself. The Ghosts of Watto Hugh, a radio drama adapted from the novels by Stephen S. Drachman, starring Anthony Tether and Emily Dalton, produced by Danielle Wu, with music by Derek K. Miller. Episode 1, Mr. O'Hugh's Wild West Extravaganza. My name is Watt O'Hugh III. This is my story. Maybe I don't remember every last detail properly, but I've never outright lied. I've also tried to be candid about my experiences roaming time, even though I know that as a result of this revelation, many readers will disbelieve my yarn. I've tried to keep my story accurate by referring frequently to a journal in which I've written nearly every day of my life since the charity workers taught me to write, which is a very long time. I don't pretend I'm the bravest man in the world. I'm afraid of plenty of things. I worry about my own capacity for greed and evil. I'm afraid of a woman's power to hurt me. I admit, I'm frightened of waterfalls and I don't imagine I could tell you where that phobia came from. But as the years have gone by, I've been surrounded by bullets so many times that they've slowly lost their power to terrify. Whether that's just brave or stupid, I'll let you decide. After my behavior during the draft riots of 1863, New York City, my hometown, cast down a big disapproving stare and spat me out. I joined the Union Army happy to spite my former friends back home. When the war ended, I had no place to go but west. I achieved a certain amount of fame. None of it deserved. Still, I enjoyed it. What is it? Who's there? Mr. O'Hugh? Mr. Watt O'Hugh? My name is Simmons. I'm a theatrical agent from New York. Uh, all right. All right. Come in. I woke you. I had a late night. You live here? The back room of a saloon? When I'm not on a cattle drive. Sometimes customers need punching. I punch them. The room comes free. You're surprised. You're a great Western hero. <laughs> you shouldn't believe what you read in the dime novels. Come on, let me get you a drink. One whiskey. Is whiskey all right, Mr. Simmons? Mm. One whiskey and one Monongahela. I drink Monongahela. Dime novel hero has to have some eccentricities to make him interesting to the reading public. We all know about your heroic actions in Little Mount. 
my reputedly heroic actions in Little Mount, Mr. Simmons. I went there to gamble away some of my cattle drive pay. One thing led to another, I guess. I don't want to destroy my legend, Mr. Simmons, but... Women out east have fallen in love with you. With my fictional adventures and with a rather exaggerated likeness. You're, I think, maybe six foot three, and you look strong enough to put up a good fight against most men. On a good day, not today, not at the moment. You killed Indians, rescued women tied to train tracks, foiled bank heists, dangled from cliffs, fought duels, stopped speeding trains. You are America's brave new Western man, handsome and strong and invincible. Your manifest destiny personified. The 19th century's money machine of hype, rumor, and lies did the trick, I suppose. I've never killed an Indian, for example. Reality will assuredly disappoint you, Mr. Simmons. I'm interested only in the legend. I've never cared much for reality. A couple of plays have already hit the island starring New York actors impersonating you in your various adventures. A group of investors including Drexel, Morgan and Company, a very prestigious Wall Street firm, interested in bankrolling the real thing. Never heard of them. Mr. Morgan has a bright future in front of him, I think. J.P. Morgan, have you? Wall Street wasn't my neighborhood. Would you... Could you give up all this, your Western life, for a shot at the stage? Oh, you understand. I'm a cowboy. I'm a shootist. I've learned to fire a 45. I pay for my drinks in Cowtown Honky Tonks with bullets. Cowboy change, we call it. I didn't choose my new life. But now I have a new life. I'm not a New Yorker anymore. And I think the sight of the real Watto Hugh would deflate the legend pretty fast. You did make yourself hard to find. I suppose there was a reason for that. I also like a long, hot bath. I like to shave every day. Don't get that on the trail. I miss New York, I suppose. I miss the things that Lucy and I used to do in New York. The fancy places we used to go. Lucy? Lucy Billings. The infamous Lucy Billings? Back then, she was just Lucy. I admit that I could also remember images of the Randalls Island poorhouse. And I could not ever quite forget an early childhood spent just barely surviving in the dark swamp south of City Hall that we called the Five Points. But when New York beckoned, I almost believed that I was returning not to a place, but to a moment in the past. I saw the brilliance of Lucy's wicked smile and I felt her white, gloved hand in mine. Back in my young adulthood, in the burgeoning 60s when the age really did seem gilded. In the end, how could I refuse? Mr. O'Hugh? Call me Watt. You would be Emelina, barmaid and prize-winning sharpshooter. I know you by reputation. And what a reputation. Have a seat and welcome to the Wa'ohu Wild West Show. Have a favorable trip so far? I got on a lopsided coach in New Mexico, which keeled over twice, though there were no broken bones. Then the coach as far as Promontory Point, Utah, where the Central Pacific and Union Pacific Railroads met. And here I am. Look at me, traveling in a Pullman car on the Transcontinental Railroad. 
Emelina had blazing red hair, skin brown from the western sun, and strong, prominent cheekbones. Also, strong arms and legs. She radiated strength. You could be the new western gal, something the boys back east have never seen. Let's invent a heroic myth for you, a whole new life. As a girl growing up in Kansas, we'll say little Emelina saved her small town from bandits, fed her family by hunting for wild game, and protected her widowed mother from wolves. These are lies, Watt. Audiences will look in those willful blue eyes, Emelina, and they will believe all the lies. <laughs> no one is interested in reality, Emelina. She took my hand and smiled at me. Such a wide and hopeful smile. I wanted to tell you the truth that day on the train, Watt. I was not really the strong woman you knew by reputation. I'd gone west at the age of 17 to marry a man whose letters seemed tender and warm, traveling with some other desperate young girls who'd sold themselves through the mail. At first, I liked living in her new snug and sod house, its green, grass-covered roof, all that kept it from fading into the Kansas horizon. I thought I preferred a hard life on the prairies to the hopeless life of poverty I'd known back east. I didn't mind taking orders from my husband to make such a challenging life work, and I could even abide the solitude. I bore my husband a couple of children, but then I left. Left my kids behind, too. My husband swore to find me and bring me home or kill me trying. I made it a long way, all the way to Blue Rock, Wyoming. My life has been all about running away and then something else. There was something else I couldn't tell you. Welcome back to Manhattan, Mr. O'Hugh. Thank you, Mr. Simmons. Everything is ready, Mr. O'Hugh. Your supporting cast of Sue and Pawnee, cowboys and vaqueros who could ride and rope better than anyone, a staff of musicians to punctuate the excitement on stage, and a full contingent of horses, buffalo, Texas steers, and assorted donkeys and deer. A few notes for Mr. Morgan. All I'm asking is to kill a few Indians. People will love it if you kill a few Indians. White men with bullets defeating Indians with arrows isn't particularly exciting or stirring. And he's concerned about Negro cowboys. Some colored cowboys know how to rope and shoot, Mr. Simmons, and I want them on my stage. On a cattle run, no one has the luxury of even noticing the color of a man's skin. The public wants the West, and that's the West. Will they want to hear this from Lucy Billings, his former consort? She's out there somewhere trying to overthrow the United States to bring down the codfish aristocracy. It takes more than a pretty smile to overthrow the Union, Mr. Simmons. Just ask Jefferson Davis. We are booked into the great Roman Hippodrome, a gaudy, terriculated castle of a structure that filled up a few big blocks around Madison and 26th Street. The Hippodrome consisted of a wide, open, and prairie-like arena flanked by an elevated stage and encircled by rising tiers that could accommodate an audience of 10,000. The building was new since last visit to New York, and it would later go through a few quick name changes before its demolition and quick historical obscurity. But even if you don't remember its name, I'll never forget it. What? I've got the reviews. 
All right. I'm ready. The Herald, July 14th, 1874. The audience thrilled to scenes of Watt O'Hugh III battling an entire band of outlaws, single-handedly shooting them all dead, saving a stagecoach from ferocious bandits, riding on horseback across a lonely prairie town street, and sweeping a little orphan girl into his arms moments before a stampede thundered around the band. Actually, a midget in track. And rescuing hysterical passengers from an exploding locomotive. Buffalo pounded across the open plains. Cowboys rode wild broncos and lassoed bulls. And natives roamed the land as though the white man had never sent anchor off the coast. Let me see that. Aha! Now listen to this. The beautiful Emelina was central to the show, of course. She made a striking impression right from her first appearance, riding out into the arena, standing on a stallion. And though chastely garbed in an ankle-length calfskin dress and topped by a cowboy hat, she was no less voluptuous and sexually captivating. The wind rippling through her long hair, she drew a 16-gauge, double-barrel, breech-loading, hammer-mode shotgun and blasted a series of airborne glass balls as they plummeted to earth, shot an apple off Mr. O'Hugh's head, and then, at the end of her act, and after a few more examples of impossible dexterity, she chased her stallion around the arena, leapt onto its back, and galloped away waving her hat in the air, leaving the crowd coughing in a thick, smelly cloud of gunpowder smoke. Sexually captivating. How about this one? From the world. Watt O'Hugh is an apologist for godless savages. All right. See you on stage. Good luck out there. On July 17th, just a half hour into the show, and as I rode into the center of the arena, preparing to battle a crooked prairie town packed with outlaws, I heard the sound of gunfire. Felt bullets whoosh by my head like meteors shooting from the sky. I jumped off my horse, ran through the dust to the foot of the stage, and scanned the theater's enormous and unfinished arch ceiling. A thin scaffold ran around the uppermost periphery of the theater, vanishing behind the tall curtain that ascended from the foot of the stage to the building's pinnacle, and a vast network of temporary wooden beams crisscrossed under the dome to serve as unsteady bridges for the army of artisans that might eventually complete the Rococo ceiling. Somewhere up there, a killer waited in the shadows. I'd been engulfed in bullets before, many times during the war, and also in Little Mount. But this time, I had my audience to think about. Thousands of soft and laughing, ruddy pink faces attached to bodies that should have been ducking down and cowering under their chairs, and who, in spite of my most desperate entreaties, would not give up the delusion that all this was part of the show. Indeed, the more insistently I screamed at them to run for their lives, the louder grew their excitement, laughter, and applause. Fat and content, the very arteries and veins lined with silver, gold, and heavy cream sauce. My audience had forgotten the revolution and what it meant to be either afraid or brave. Many of them needed to be struck down by a passing bullet just to remember what it felt like to be alive. But I would save them anyway. I climbed down to the stage and 
I leapt to a thin column that ran up the side of the building. I scaled the wall, and men and women slapped me on the back from the first tier, then the second, and then third, and finally from the box balconies, their laughter ringing loudly in my ears. At the zenith of the column, the muscles in my arm aching from my climb, I pulled myself above the corners, crouched, and then leapt again, and almost drunk with my fearlessness, grabbed hold of a beam and scurried across it like a rat, the wood bouncing and creaking under my weight. The applause was now a distant hum. Again, descending bullets ruffled my hair and lodged in a balustrade a few yards below me, jarring an upper balcony and tickling its delighted occupants. I looked in the direction of the bullets. The gunfire halted. He was reloading. Wobbling in the dark, on shaky knees, I could see nothing. Then another shot cracked through the air, rising up from below like a rocket. That was Emelina, saving my life. I heard a sharp thud, and then I saw my assassin. A lone figure balanced precariously at the very edge of the dome ceiling, just a few yards from me, camouflaged by a big ruffle of curtain. He wore a sack suit, a long coat with loosely fitting pantaloons and a red waistcoat. All dark, muddy colors that blended in with the shadows at the top of the theater. Blood drained from the killer's hairy face. His skin turned pale white, and sight left his eyes. His pupil growing large and dark like two black pools hovering in the air before me. He tried to raise his gun, as though killing me could somehow restore his life. But his muscles seemed to strain under its weight. The piece fell from his weakened fingers, spinning in the air on its long fall to the center of the arena. At last, the killer also fell backward flipping up and over the curtain and dropping face down into a tangled mess of ropes and pulleys which cushioned his fall and tied him up in a secure package like a bug in a spider's web. As he twisted about lifelessly in midair, I stared at him, at the back of his greasy head, and I wished that I could see his face to look into his lifeless eyes. I wondered why he'd wanted to kill me. The audience roared its approval. Ladies and gentlemen peering through their opera glasses, exhilarated by this realistic death. I stood, leaned against the wall, scanning the horizon. In spite of the cheers of the crowd, something was wrong. Too calm. I questioned whether this was a lone gunman or if someone else up here planned to carry on. I touched my gun, my fingers trembling. I saw a puff of smoke and then heard a shot ring out. A bullet headed at me so slowly I thought I could dodge it. The bullet hovered before my eyes. Time seemed to have stopped entirely. My feet anchored to the spot as the bullet rose into the air and spun harmlessly up over my left shoulder and into the ceiling, crackling through wood and stone that fluttered in shards down onto my head. Another shot buffeted me on my left, and then one knocked me to the right, and I fell sideways, twisted about and reached for support, but my fingers swam uselessly in the empty air. I waited to fall, 
Wondered what it would be like. How long it would take. How the wind would feel against my skin. And what I might see. Might I see anything? After my body crashed to the hippodrome floor and lay crumpled and broken before the cheering and enchanted crowd. Somewhere in some dark part of my mind, I saw my body flipping over and over like a ragdoll helpless in a gale, cleansed in the dying sunlight that filtered in from the tiny western window. The one thing that I knew was that I would not live through this. Then, something entirely astonishing happened. This has been the Chickadee Prince production of The Ghosts of Wadohue, starring Anthony Tether and Emily Dalton, produced by Danielle Wu, with music by Derek K. Miller, and featuring sound effects by Andoon, Stiffman, Wim, Keister, D. Hemming, Good Listener, and Audio Man, Play Audio One, Hallie Pinson, M. Altini, and Razvio. Thank you for listening. <laughs>